remember this is Heavens University. It is, um, it is very important, if, if not mandatory, that when you are coming for service, you are to come with your diary, your Bible, and your pen. Because uh, you can't you can be able to assimilate everything that is being taught from this pulpit. Some of these things you are hearing are things that have been built up for over 10 years. And I'm teaching you within one hour. So it's going to take you some time to be able to digest some of these things into your spirit, man. So I always advise that anytime you're coming for service, make some notes. When you go through the notes, you meditate on them and ask the spirit of God to lead you. Praise God. Now, quickly, because of time, we want to go straight to the point. We are still continuing with our teaching series titled 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. I believe that every Christian across the world should listen to this message if that Christian wants to make spiritual progress in his journey with God. Now, we began to speak about these 10 questions a man can use to de detect or diagnose how healthy he is as a Christian. And... Um, I normally want to do a recap because uh, repetition is a key to understanding for the uh, purpose or for the sake of those who are here for the first time. It's going to guide you to be able to follow or track what we are doing. Hallelujah. So now we spoke about the 10 questions. We said the first question to diagnose your spiritual health is what? Can someone help me? me Mr. Vincent, can you help us? The first question to diagnose your spiritual health. Come again. Do you hunger and thirst for God? Do you hunger and thirst for God? If you answer this question right, you, you will know whether you are healthy or not. How is your hunger, your panting for the Lord like? The second question to diagnose your spiritual health is what? Are you increasingly governed by the word of God? Check your life. You don't need to go to heaven to know whether you are matured or not. You should be able to determine that here on earth. And the second question to diagnose it is that, are you increasingly governed consistently by the word of God? How your decisions are governed by the word of God determines the state of your spiritual health. Number three question is what? Are you more loving? The third question to diagnose your spiritual health is, are you more loving? If you find a Christian who is losing his love life, for God, for other brethren in Christ is, is actually a proof and a demonstration of an unhealthy believer. Are you more loving means are you more patient with believers? Are you kind to believers? Do you keep record of wrongs against them? So love is a, is a tenth question to diagnose a man's spiritual health. Now what's the fourth spiritual uh, question to? Are you more sensitive to the one? To God's presence. Now, we have explained that God's presence is in every believer. But not every believer is sensitive to that presence. Now, a sign that you are sensitive to God's presence is revealed in your attitude towards God's presence. We have explained that, but we need to do a recap of that. Now, what is the next question to diagnose your spiritual? Do you have a growing concern for the physical and spiritual needs of others? Now, we've come to understand that the motto of every Christian is others. In fact, that's going to be the new motto for our working force. A motto is just one word. What? Others. When we think of others, the spiritual and temporal needs of others, that means the physical needs of others. How, how concerned about, uh, are you when you see people in need, both spiritually and physically? You find people who are not living in the word of God, who don't pray, and you are not concerned about helping them, you're not healthy. You find people who have physical needs, transportation, who lack clothes, good clothes. What are you doing to meet that need? If you begin to have a growing concern for the needs of people, both spiritual and physical, it's a sign that you're a healthy Christian. Now, what's the next question to diagnose your spiritual health? Are the spiritual disciplines what? Increasingly important to you. We have explained these spiritual disciplines. We categorize them into three. The discipline of solitude, which is the discipline that draws you close to God. The discipline of surrender, which is what makes you yield to God. And the discipline of service, which makes you minister to others and become a blessing to them. So in these disciplines, we said prayer, meditation, Bible reading. 
These are all spiritual disciplines every believer must be engaged in. We spoke about fasting. We spoke about um, um, what are some of the other ones we mentioned? Fasting, memorizing scriptures, evangelism. These are all spiritual disciplines. If they are not important to you as a Christian, it's a sign that you're not healthy. And this is very important. You should be able to know if you are a healthy Christian or not. You should be able to know if you are growing as a child of God or not. And listen to me. It is useless to come to a church for 10 years, 5 years, 8 years, and nothing is happening with your spiritual work. Nothing is happening in your spiritual journey with God. It's useless. The truth of the matter is that God does not need your offerings. He needs your heart. And many people think once they are doing Christian activity, it's a sign they are okay. No. We need to understand that work with God first births activity. Because activity without the heart may not produce the right results. So there are people who are serving God, but serving God out of a wrong motive. There are people who serve God because they, they want their conscience to, to be okay that they have come to church. That's wrong. There are people who are serving God because they've seen people doing it and they also want to do it. That's wrong. So your heart first. Anyway, what's the, what's the final question? Are you a quick forgiver? Now check your life. Check your life. How many times do you forgive people in a week? How do you respond to the offenses of people? Now, if you are a child of God who is very quick in forgiving people, you are not a fool. You are actually spiritually wise. You know there are people who say, no, this one, this one, no, it's, it's foolishness. Don't entertain it. Don't, don't forgive him. In fact, be careful. Being a quick forgiver is a sign that you are a healthy child of God. And we need to understand that it's not how many years that you have been a Christian that matters to God. Because there, there are people who are more concerned about their duration as Christians. It's not how long you have been a Christian. It's how well the Holy Ghost has worn over your heart. It's how long transformation has taken place in your heart. So you can be a child of God for 10 years and still be a carnal Christian. And one can be a child of God for just one year and he can be a matured Christian. Why? Because of how he has allowed the Holy Ghost to work in him. Are you following this thing? So don't boast about your duration in Christianity. You boast about your yieldedness. How well the Holy Ghost has conquered territories of your heart. Hallelujah. What's the last question? Today's message. Now, this is very interesting. You guys have no idea how I feel about this teaching. I have just given you the secret to Christianity. In this teaching, this series I'm giving to you is the secret to Christianity. I am telling you, sleep with the messages. Sleep with it. Play it when you're going to work. Play it when you're at work. Play it during break. Play it when you come back from work. Play it when you are praying. It will have a certain effect in you. Soon you will know that something is happening to your Christian life. I'm telling you this. This is the secret of Christianity I'm, I'm putting in this series for you. Anyone that takes this teaching serious, your Christian life will never be the same. I can assure you. Now, the next question to diagnose your spiritual health is do you still grieve sin? Your faithful Lord, thank you. Do you still grieve sin? Now, this is the next question to diagnose your health as a child of God. Now, you know, of course, in this ministry, we don't teach sin as people teach it in a condemning way to make people fear and people feel threatened by God. Because threatening people and making people fear does not change them from sinning. Actually, it eventually hardens them. Praise God. But we need to understand that sin is still a big issue to God, whichever way we understand it. So, a child of God cannot live without understanding the concept of sin. Because if sin is something that affects 
that believers walk with God, it is something we have to take very serious. Now, we need to understand that the more closer you get to Christ, the more you hate sin. This is a fact of life in the Christian life you need to understand. It's a fact of the Christian life. The more closer you get to Christ, the more you hate sin. For nothing is more unlike Christ than sin. Now we need to understand that because Jesus hates sin, the more like Christ to become, the more you grow to hate sin. It's an equation. Jesus hates sin. The more you become like Jesus, you also grow to hate sin. It's simple. And guess what? Look at the equation. Because Jesus hates sin, a growing Christian will eventually also hate sin. And the more you hate sin, the more grieved you become when you fall into it. And now, many a times, we have confused condemnation from godly sorrow. I'm going to be explaining that to you. Because if you don't get that right, you will confuse condemnation with godly sorrow. They are not the same. Now, we, we need to understand that um, grieving sin is actually a sign that you are healthy. Not at the say being condemned and feeling guilty. When you are worried about sin, it's a sign you are healthy. Now, let me give you an example. Can someone, okay, I have a pen here. Alright, so we want to have a protocol man come here. Let me just do a demonstration. Now, be as real as possible, okay? However way you feel, don't just feel free. Be yourself. Now, whatever response you get, just, you know. So, watch that. Uh, he just said, hey. Now, now, why is he responding to this pain? Because he's alive. So what caused him pain, he could feel it. And he responded to it. It's the same with the believer in sin. If sin does not make you feel anything, if sin does not make you respond to God, that this is not right, I can't do this before God. It means that you're not healthy. You are living like a dead man. I'm teaching good here. One great man of God called A.W. Pink made a profound statement. He said, it is not the absence of sin but the grieving over it which distinguishes a child of God from empty professors of faith. That's deep. Let me repeat that again. N.W. Pink says, it is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over sin which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors of faith. That means the difference between a true Christian and an empty professor, one who claims to be a Christian, is how they grieve sin. You need to understand, maybe you can write this down. Increased sensitivity to your sin is a mark of growth. This teaching will shock you, but it's true. You can doubt it, you will come and meet it again. Increased sensitivity to your sin is a mark of growth. There is no growing believer who will not have an increased sensitivity to sin because now Jesus, God's word tells us in Psalm 119 verse 11, he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Meaning, the more word you have in your heart, the more sensitive to sin you will be. Because God's word is a revelation of himself and a revelation of his will for your life. So, the more a believer gets God's word into his heart, he, he has a revelation of who God is, what God wants, what God does not want, and God's will for, him, for his life. And the truth of the matter is that when you study the Bible, God is going to tell you what he wants and what he doesn't want. When you discover that revelation, it begins to guard you. So anytime you break that, it breaks your heart that you have broken God's heart. 
I'm teaching good here. Any believer who begins to have a growing sensitivity to sin is a believer who is growing. It's a believer who is making spiritual progress. Because insensitivity to sin and lack of remorse and grief towards sin is actually the character of an unbeliever. Uh-uh. Huh. Did you get this? Unbelievers don't have a problem with sin. So when they sin as unbelievers, they don't have any guiding principle over their lives to know whether what they have done is sin or not. That is how can, if you have a roommate who is not a Christian or if you have a roommate who is not born again and you find him doing all kinds of things and doesn't see anything wrong with it, you, you should pity that person. So I pity Christians who get influenced by unbelieving mates. They find nothing wrong. You find something wrong. That is how come you're uncomfortable about it. And it's a battle between light and darkness. I'm teaching well here. We need to understand that the closer you come to the light of Christ, the more sin his holy light will expose in you. Let me repeat that again. Maybe you can write that. The more closer you come to the light of Jesus Christ, the more sin his holy light will expose in you. I'm going to repeat that for the third time because this is a very profound statement. The more closer you come to the light of Jesus Christ, the more sin his holy light will expose in you. I'm a living testimony to this I'm teaching you. The moment I decided to get closer to God, to get deeper in my walk with God, something began to happen. The very things, I didn't find anything wrong with it. Now I began to find something wrong with it. Why? Because I was drawing near to that light. And that light began to expose darkness in my life. And soon, I started getting uncomfortable. With little lies. You know, some Christians will say, there's nothing wrong with that. When you get more closer to God, little lies which people don't book becomes a problem to you. And I'm not saying you will never tell a lie. But what happens to you when you tell that lie is like you want to rip your heart open because you're broken the heart of the Son of God. Lord, help us. You can write this down. A sense of sin is in proportion to our nearness to God. Our sense of sin is in proportion to our nearness to God. Now, I've always been saying this thing that all believers are the same in identity. But how they live their Christian life are not the same. This is something some people struggle to understand, but it's true. We are the same in identity. What That means whatever Jesus Christ did for, for one, he did for all. You don't have more Holy Spirit than I have. You don't have more justification than I have. You don't have more redemption than I have. You don't have more eternal security than I have. You don't have more forgiveness than I have. The, the finished work of Jesus Christ is a reality that is at work in every believer. So we are same in identity. Whatever Jesus did for you, he did for me. But how we respond to that reality is not the same. How we live our lives as, as Christians is not the same. So a, a sign that a believer is more closer to God is how sensitive he is to sin. One great man of God in the 18th century called Jonathan Edwards made another profound statement. He says the more a true saint loves God, the more he mourns over sin. The more a true saint loves God, the more he mourns over sin. And normally, I use myself as, as an example not to boast about self-righteousness. I use that to challenge you that God can transform anybody who is willing. You are not, you are not too damaged to be repaired by God. I'm telling you. You are not too destroyed to be restored by God. You are not too deformed to be transformed by God. It's a matter of you getting to understand that when you turn to Jesus and yield your heart to him, Jesus will bring something out of your life that will shock the whole world. I'm not shy. I'm not afraid of my testimony. I was once into masturbation and the light of Jesus came upon my life and the Lord set me free. 
And I'm not embarrassed to let people see where I came from. How Jesus took me from addictions. Took me from all kinds of things. And made a light out of my life. And today you are benefiting from a long years of work that Jesus did in a man who was willing to submit his will to God. He said the more a true saint loves God, the more he mourns over sin. Over sin. That's very true. That's very true. If you truly love God, Jesus said, obey my commandments. The proof that a man loves God is not in confession. The, the truth or the genuineness of the love of God in a man's heart is that he'll be obedient to Jesus Christ. The difference between a growing Christian and a non-growing Christian is their grief over sin. So never compare yourself to another Christian. Hey, you, you may think another Christian has liberty to do what he wants. And you may, you may be walking according to the standards of God and you find another believer living liberally. And you may be tempted to feel that you, it looks like your standards are too high. Yes, that's how it must be. Our standards as Christians are too high. And other Christians must look at us. We become their spectacle to look at God. Keep that standard high. Depending of God, on God. Keep it high. Another great saint called John Owen said, I do not understand how a man can be a true believer in whom sin is, in whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow and trouble. I repeat that again. He says, I don't understand how a man can be a true believer in whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow and trouble. Ladies and gentlemen, this man speaking here is not ignorant. I've understood the concept, the concept of sin. I've understood what Jesus Christ did to our sin. And you see, before you understand this process of grieving sin as a Christian, which is a sign of your spiritual health, we need to understand what Jesus Christ has done to our sin. So you don't confuse condemnation with godly sorrow. There are seven main things that Jesus Christ did to our sins. And every child of God must understand this reality. The seven main things that Jesus did to our sins. Number one, I'm going to go through it quickly. If you want to understand it deeper, go and look for our teaching, Forgiveness. It's a series. It's a 49 episode teaching. This is a university. So work is hard. If you want to grow, you have to work hard. So go and get it. It's on our podcast. It's going to change your life forever. The first thing Jesus did to our sin was that he forgave all our sins. That's number one. In Colossians chapter 2, the verse 13, the Bible tells us all our sins are forgiven as children of God. And many a time we think that it is in begging that we attain true forgiveness, but many people are confused. He says, and you've been dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He had quickened together with him, having forgiven, past tense, all your trespasses, not some of your trespasses. So the child of God began his Christian journey forgiven. In Colossians 3.13, the Bible tells us to forgive even as Jesus Christ forgave us. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22, we come to understand that the power of forgiveness is not revealed in you begging God, first of all. Now, the Bible says almost all things are by the law patched with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission. Meaning, it is not the quality of your begging that brings forgiveness, it's the quality of the blood of Jesus that attains forgiveness. So don't think that the power of you being forgiven is revealed in your ability to beg. It is revealed in his blood. He didn't say without begging. He says without a shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Meaning that forgiveness is only made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we need to understand as we we teach further that there is a place for remorse. There is a place for apologizing to the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is not a robot. He's a person that has feelings. You made a vow to your wife that you're going to be with her till death do us part. That was a covenant. Meaning that no matter the offense I do against my wife or my wife does against me, I should forgive her based on the covenant we established. So before my wife sins against me, I've already forgiven her. 
in the covenant I made with her. But we need to understand that I am in a relationship with my wife. My wife is not a robot. When she offends me, I can't say that because of the vow I made 10 years ago, 4 years ago, 5 years ago, you should remember it and be peaceful. I can't tell her that. We're in a relationship. When I hurt her, though we have a covenant that we have already forgiven each other before we start, though we have the covenant because of the relationship I, I must submit to her by apologizing to her and then restore that relationship please are you getting this thing at all so number one what did Jesus do to our sin he forgave all our sins number two he removed all our sins Psalm 103 verse 2 and 3 he removed all our sins now look he says bless the Lord all my soul and forget not all his benefits Psalm 103 verse 3. He says, who forgiven all thy iniquities? Two and three. Two and three. Two and three. Psalm 103 verse 2 and 3. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities and healeth all thy disease? Now, come to first John, come to John chapter 1 verse 29. Jesus removed all our sins. He says the next day, John said, Jesus and said unto him, Behold the Lamb of God, which take it away. The way take it away is to remove. So Jesus removed all our sins. Number three, he buried all our sins. Micah chapter 7, the verse 19. Jesus buried all our sins. Micah chapter 7, the verse 19. Micah 7, 19. He says, he will turn again and he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He cast our sins in hell. So our sins are buried as Christians. Number four, Jesus does not remember our sins. God does not remember our sins. Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 16 and 17. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Look at the next verse. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Can a believer sin in the New Testament? Yes, he can. What is God's response to that sin in account of his salvation? God decides by his own power not to remember it against you. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't concern him. Because I'm coming there soon. Now, look at the fifth thing Jesus Christ did. The fifth thing Jesus did to our sins. To our sins. He does not count our sins against us. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Number 5, he does not count our sins against us. That means he does not record it against us. He does not log it against us. He does not impute it against us. He says, to which that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses to them. He does not count it against you. Look at the six. Number six. He, he was punished for our sins. The seven things that Jesus Christ did to our sins. He was punished for our sins. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 3, 18. He says, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. In, Hebrew, in Isaiah chapter 53, the verse 4 and 5, the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. So Jesus Christ was punished for our sins. Finally, number 7, the seventh thing Jesus did to our sin is that he cleansed us from all our sins. Revelation chapter 1, the verse 5. He says, from Jesus Christ who is a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us. Can we read the, the, the last one? One to go. And washed us from our sins in, in, in. So Jesus cleansed you from all sin. Amazingly, that's not the only verse in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible gives us an account of that reality also. The Bible declares that who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself done what? Perched us in sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10. 
The Bible says, by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Now look at the verse 14. He says, for by one offering, how many offerings? One offering he had perfected forever them that are sanctified. That means made clean. So now, we have understood that Jesus did seven many things to our sin. Our sins. This is an established reality. And nothing you can do can change it. But we need to understand, you can't write this down, we need to understand that the ultimate reality about the believer is that we died with sin. We, we died to sin. The ultimate reality about the believer is that we died to sin. Now, look at Romans chapter 6, the verse 1. So I've given you seven things that Jesus Christ or God did to our sins. But the ultimate reality about what I've just said is that we died to sin in the death of Jesus Christ. Now look, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now look at the next verse. Paul begins to answer that question by saying, God forbid. So, God forbid that a child of God will continue in sin because of grace. Then he answers again by saying, How shall we that are what? Uh, how shall we that are dead to sin? Now, before you were in Christ, you were dead in sin. Now, come to Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 1. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I love, I love you, Jesus. I love you. He says, And you had he quickened who were what? Dead, what? You are not here with me. Dead in trespasses and sins so before you met Jesus Christ you were dead in sin when you came into Christ you were dead to sin dead in sin means you were ruled, controlled dominated by sin now that you are in Christ the Bible says in a in Romans chapter 6, the verse 2, he says, God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, you see, the, the mystery about living a transformed life as a Christian is revelation. If you don't have revelation, you will use your strength to stop certain habits. And when you start using your strength, you will fail because you don't have the power to. The power of transformation is revealed in God's word and God's spirit. Is someone here with me? The power of God's of transformation is revealing what? God's word and God's spirit. Meaning, it takes the word of God and the spirit of God to bring a man out of a sinful life. Surprisingly, it takes three, not just two. The last thing it takes for transformation is you. Because without you, the, the word of God and the spirit of God will have no potency to deal with you. When I say you, I'm talking of yieldedness. I'm talking of having a certain response towards sin. Have you cried over a sin you don't like before? If you have not got in there, that means you still like it. Have you gone to a place where you weep? When that sin annoys you, it angers you that you were Christian, you are still battling with this thing. If sin is not grieving you as a child of God, it's a sign that you're not making an attempt to grow. I'm teaching good here. I always tell Christians that we need to understand that the finished work of Jesus Christ or the realities of the finished work of Christ are not toys for playing. They are tools for service. Meaning knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that you are saved, knowing that uh, you are the righteousness of God are not revelations to play with. Yeah, I'm saved. Oh, glory. Oh, no, they are not toys for playing. They are tools for service. These revelations are rather a means to an end and not the end of the means. 
Meaning God uses the reality of the finished work to equip you for something bigger. For something bigger. I read an account in the book of Psalm 130, the verse 3 and 4. David says something amazing to understand the goal of forgiveness. That changed my life. He says, Thou, O, if thou, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And look at the next verse. He says, But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So, God forgives you so that when you are out by how he did it, the end goal is that you would fear him. So, any believer who knows about his forgiveness in Christ knows what Christ has done to him and he has not yet feared him, has not finished the process. There is forgiveness in him that we may fear him. Praise God. There is a reality about grieving sin which every Christian must understand. We call that repentance from sin. Many Christians don't like to hear it. But as long as you're in this ministry, you hear it. something is happening to the church today and the reason, the reason why we are losing this power is because we are missing something we are missing something we are not getting something right I don't know maybe you are the kind of Christian who is okay living a nominal casual Christian life I'm not that kind of Christian I'm not every single day of my life is a quest it's a pursuit of working with God I don't know about you Every single hour, every single minute, I'm thinking about God and how to please Him. If you're not that kind of Christian, saying things like this will not mean anything to you. But you need to understand that you being in a meeting like this is not a coincidence. You thought someone invited you, actually it was God who brought you. And anytime anybody hears a message like this, it is God speaking to the heart of the person because he wants to do something in that person's life. I don't know why I'm talking. I don't know. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe the next apostle Paul is in this building and we don't know. And that person is trivializing the power of the gospel. But God is speaking to your heart today. We call that repentance from sin. Listen, you have not grieved sin until you have repented from sin. There is a big difference between forgiveness of sins and then repentance from sin. Forgiveness of sin is a divine gift. Repentance from sin is a divine responsibility. Any Christian who claims he has grieved sin and has not repented has not yet grieved that sin. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the verse 20, Paul says something amazing to that church in rebuke. In, a, in the NLT version, he says, For I am afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find. And you won't like my response. I'm afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance and disorderly behavior. Look, he says, yes, the verse 21, I am afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I'll be grieved because of many, because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented from your impurity, sexual immorality and eagerness for lustful pleasure. These are Christians he's talking to. Look at 2 Timothy chapter, 20, chapter 2, the verse 25 and 26 in KJV version. Look, he says, yes, I'm afraid. No, 2 Timothy chapter, one, chapter 2, the verse 25 and 26, KJV. Now, look, he says, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. If peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Next verse. 
that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive at his will. Now, this is a very important scripture we need to understand. Now, this is the best biblical definition for repentance that every Christian must understand. If you read the verse 20, uh, 20, Five again. Now look what he says. He says, "Pray adventure if God will give them repentance to the what?" So repentance is an acknowledgement of truth. In fact, the word repentance is from the Greek word metanoia. Metanoia. Let me just spell it: M E T A N O I A. Metanoia. Now that word metanoia means a change of mind. It means to think differently. It means to reconsider. It means a joint thinking with God. That means you begin to think like God. Joint thinking with God. It means to participate in the thoughts of God. It means to awaken to God's understanding. And it means change of direction are you following this thing that's about repentance so number one when we say a person has repented it means the person has changed his mind about something it means he's beginning to think differently about that thing it means he's beginning to reconsider it means he's having a joint thinking with God about that matter it means he's participating with the thoughts of God on that matter. It means he has awakened to God's understanding. And it means he has changed direction. Are you following me? So now he's saying if God will give them adventure repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now, we say repentance means to change your mind. It doesn't mean you have changed your mind from good, from bad to good. It means you have changed your mind with God's mind. So, you were on this direction because this is how you think about that direction. I decided to commit this sin because I felt like doing it. That's a wrong perspective of working with God. So, God's word is taught to you about self-control. God's word is taught to you about forgiveness. And when your mind is renewed, that action that takes place is what we call repentance. Now, you have changed your direction about that matter because you have changed your thinking about that matter. So if you read 2 Timothy 2.25, he says to the acknowledging of the truth, meaning a man cannot repent from sin until he has first changed his mind or acknowledged the truth of God. Then what happens in the next verse? He says that they may recover, meaning revelation or the acknowledgement of the truth, that's what we call recovery. Man of God, I'm struggling with anger problem. What have you read about God's word regarding anger? We don't repent by saying, I don't know. My father too was angry. And me too, now I'm angry. Are you a Christian? You are using your father's mistake as an excuse? You don't get this thing. When I find Christians say, me papa ma, me ma. You are, something is wrong with you. So people put the blames on them. So they look at their father. Their father gave birth to, let's say, 10 children, 15 children out of polygamy, married different, different wives. And they also find that desire coming. And they say, it's in our bloodline. Shame on you. It's in your bloodline. Do you know the bloodline you came from? Born not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but born of God. So that revelation should let you know that your DNA is not human based. Your DNA is Christ based. So you got to change your thinking about that. My mother gave birth before marriage. So I'm finding myself also giving birth before marriage. What kind of thinking is that? What kind of thinking is that? So many people are justifying excuses. Why are you, listen, God's word is powerful enough to change a man. God's word, it is powerful enough to change a man. 
Stop giving those excuses. God is calling unto you. Am I helping someone here? So, you, you got to rechange. You got to change your thinking about a particular issue you want to see a change in with God's word. And that is the first step to recovery. Praise God. But actually, that's not where the area of the message is going to. I'm talking about the second phase of repentance. The second phase of repentance is what we call brokenness. Now, the word repentance has a second phase. And this one, you have to write it down. Very important. That word repentance has the next phase of what we call deep remorse. Sorrow. Next one. Reproach of conscience. Or stinge of con- 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 conscience. A feeling of deep regret. Or a contrition. C-O-N-T-R-I-T-I-O-N. Contrition. Now, contrition is actually a state of being contrite or uh, you have deep sorrow for sin because you know you have displeased God. That's a contrition. So we need to understand that brokenness is actually a wing of repentance. Grieving sin is being broken over sin. Hallelujah. The last time I read my Bible, I saw some two realities that shocked me. When I began my journey into understanding the grace of God, I found a verse that liberated me. In Romans chapter 2, the verse 4, the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance. When I caught that reality, trust me, it helped me onto the particular stage. The Bible says, or oh, despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads them to repentance, meaning God's goodness leads a man to repentance. It's not fear. It's not being threatened. The goodness of God leads a man to what? Repentance. Meaning the more of God's goodness you know, the more it breaks you to repent. You can imagine, God said to Peter, cast the net. Peter was trying to doubt what Jesus was saying and Peter decided to obey God's word. When he cast the net, they caught a bountiful fish, fishes. And when he caught them, he was amazed at the goodness God showed towards him. And he, he knelt down before Jesus. He says, I'm a man filled with iniquity. I don't deserve to stand in your presence. Now, when he saw the goodness of God, he was broken by how? That's beautiful. Every Christian must be garnished with revelations of the love of God. Because it has power to change. But we need to also understand there is a second phase of repentance which doesn't happen by the goodness of God. That is how come we must grow in our progressive work with God. I found a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the verse 8 to 11. The second thing that breaks repentance is called godly sorrow. Please, if you have not gotten there, do your homework well. The Bible says, for though I made you sorry with a letter. So Paul wrote a letter to make that church feel sorry. I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, though it were for a season. Next verse. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed unto what? You sorrowed unto what? Oh, you're not here. You sorrowed unto what? Repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. And he says that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Next verse. He says, for godly sorrow worketh. Let's read that together. One, two, go loudly. Continue. Uh-huh. So the Bible is telling us something. That there's a sorrow of the world and the sorrow of the Christian. I'll give you an example of the sorrow of the world. Somebody breaks the heart of a lady. Uh, they were intending to get married. Bought all the things and then and about one month later, he saw that the guy has advertised another lady. And he, he, he saw them with pre-wedding photos. And they were cutting tomatoes in the kitchen. 
You know, for the pre-wedding now, wild ones. Some I saw one they were wearing uh, school uniform. So the, now the pre-wedding are very wild, very wild. Ask somebody how your pre-wedding look like. Pre-wedding photos. Hallelujah. But I love Prophet Felix uh, pre-wedding. <laughs> Hallelujah. And guess what? And guess what? You were filled with bitterness. And you became sorrowful. You sorrowed, sir. Then it passed through your head. Then he became mad. After two months, you died. That sorrow is a worldly sorrow. Number two, you were not married and you got pregnant. Out of equal you understand what I'm saying? Then, you notice that you don't have help from anywhere. You have to terminate your education. How will you survive? Now, that thought brought some sorrow inside you. <laughs> now, cry or that cry. That cry, the Bible says it can produce death. It has no power. There is a sorrow a man can cry and that sorrow is never towards God. And Christians can even cry that cry. A Christian thief who is caught and is beat, he, he can back through tears, but may continue. So when we talk of remorse, it goes beyond weeping, though they can be weeping in that process. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that a man called Esau wept when his brother took his blessing. But that weeping didn't change him. So there's a sorrow of the world and there's a sorrow in Christianity. The Bible is telling us real sorrow in Christianity leads us to what? Repentance. See, have you ever had some sorrow that you just lied, a little lie, and you were not okay? It affected your whole day. Have you experienced that? If you have experienced that, little beyond them, see? You said something. You did something. Is it? Don't worry. It's fine. Let your conscience judge you. Okay, so if not a lie, have you ever come to a place you did something and the Holy Spirit found a way to rebuke you? And then it was like you were not okay. You were uncomfortable the whole day. At least you for one hour. Lift up your hands and let me see. Now, if you're not lifting your hands, that means that the Holy Ghost has a lot of work <laughs> am I teaching good at all and listen there is something in Christianity we call it a contrite heart that Christian who has a contrite heart will go far I saw it in Psalm 34 verse 13 Look, Psalm 34, the verse 13. Come to the verse 18. Look, he says, The Lord is now unto them that of what? A broken heart. And save us such as be of what? A contrite heart. That's exactly what I'm teaching. A heart that grieves and trembles before God when he realizes he has broken God's heart. God loves Christ. You see, you see, David was not special, but he was a man after God's own heart. And when you do a careful study of why this David was a man after God's, God's own heart, you notice that one of the things that made David exceptional was his, was his response to sin. Saul was convicted by someone about his sin. And you know, he was thinking about his throne. And he lost it. David committed a far worse sin. He was convicted. And he says, to you only have I sinned. And he had the throne back. There are many of you, you, you want to stop sin because it has disgraced you before. You want to stop it before because you think that Hey, this thing is just bad. Have you ever thought of sin in the light of God? How God views it and how God feels about it? 
That's what makes the difference. If you're a child of God, you'll be concerned about sin. You'll be grieved. And it's a sign that you're spiritually healthy. Because if a child of God does not have grief over sin, a sin he knows is a sin and it's not grieved, it's a sign that you're not healthy. Look at Psalm 51, verse 17. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a contract heart. God will not despise. Remember, you did something wrong in the office. You spoke to somebody the way you were not supposed to speak to the person. Imagine, you just quickly go to the washroom and go and kneel there and say, Holy Spirit, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for this. I'm so sorry if I, I broke your heart, Lord. I'm so sorry. Meanwhile, you, it was the person you insulted. Maybe you have apologized to the person. But the real issue you have is between you and God. That person is a, a person that God will do great things with. Look at Psalm 66, the verse 2. He's, he says, For all those things had mine, had my hand made, and for all those things that have been, saith the Lord. Psalm 66, the verse 2. Psalm, Psalm uh, Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah, Isaiah 66, the verse 2. Sorry. He says, for those things that my hand has made and all those things that have been, said the Lord, but to this man will I look. Oh, that means this man, I'll look, I'll, I'll look. I'll say, hey, who is that guy? Who is that Christian? Even to him, that is poor and of a what? Contract spirit and trembleth at my word. What is brokenness? Brokenness is a state of surrender before God. A state of surrender before God. Brokenness is a recognition of your imperfection and inadequacy outside of God's mercy and grace. A recognition of your imperfection and inadequacy outside of God's mercy and grace. We need to understand that brokenness is actually a technology that God designed in man to kill pride and arrogance by making him submit to God's discipline. brokenness is an immediate humble response in recognition and admission to an action that has pleased God, displeased God there are some of them you can't write them down but just listen to me it is an immediate humble response in recognition and admission of an action that displeases God and it, 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 there's a practical way you can express it it's so beautiful eh? you see that life eh, it, will, it will help you Lord, I didn't represent you well as your son. As your servant, as your ambassador, I didn't represent you, Lord. I'm so sorry I brought shame to your name. I'm so sorry. Lord, please help me. I'm so sorry. Do you know what that simple thing can do? Listen, many of you think that it is when we beg, you cry, you cry, you cry, you cry for two hours and God says, me it's okay. Me Listen, let me tell you, when you apologize to Jesus Christ, when you acknowledge your sin before Jesus Christ, it's not for him, it's for you. Are you okay? It's not for who? It's not for God. It's for you because there is a certain, there is something that will work inside you that will restore that relationship you have with him. If I should better stay, that's fellowship you have with him. You can never break your relationship with God because it was enacted by the blood of Jesus. But your fellowship with God can have a problem. For example, if Pastor Moses is my blood br brother, that relationship cannot be destroyed. If he is my biological son, even if I disown him, my blood is still in him. Are you getting this? But in our religion, in, in we engaging in fellowship, there can be something wrong. 
Something may happen and we may not talk to each other. That doesn't mean we are not in a relationship. Now, those of you who have girlfriends and boyfriends, and those of you who have, um, okay, no, that one is, those of you who have wives and husbands, do you see that you are in a relationship by covenant? But in that marriage relationship, you can break fellowship. And there are times you can argue. And in that argument, and both of you part ways. This one slept on the other side of the bed. This one slept on that side of the bed. And both of you are sad. Who will come first? <laughs> now, at that time, at that time on that bed, their relationship as husband and wife is not broken. But their fellowship in enjoying that marriage has been broken. That's how we need to understand that your salvation cannot be terminated, but the joy of your salvation can be affected. So there can be a Christian who is saved, yet because of how he's living, how he's related to God, his relationship actively through fellowship can be affected. So you may be a Christian and yet not a joyful Christian. Let me put it blunt. A genuine Christian cannot lose his salvation. But a genuine Christian can lose the joy of his salvation. <laughs> uh, this thing is not a joke, man. It's not. It's serious. Hmm. And there are many of you Christians who are just getting depressed left, right, center. It's like you, you are always sad as a child of God. Listen, that's not a Christian life. I am telling you the truth. Because the apostles were whipped for believing Jesus Christ. They left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. So even affliction does not have power to steal or rob the joy of the believer. So if you're a Christian who has lost that joy, the problem is in something you're not doing right. Ah, I can give you countless number of examples of brokenness. That man that is broken before God is a humble man. Man, you learn again, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm so sorry. Are you getting this thing? I wish I had more time to explain this thing. Now, why is brokenness necessary? I'm going to just rattle it because I just have five minutes. Now, number one, brokenness and godly sorrow or grieving sin is necessary because we prove that God is not a robot but a person we are relating with. That's a very important thing. We prove that God is not a robot but a person we are relating with. So you cannot be insensitive to God's person, to his ministry and to his instructions. The moment you sin, you grieve to prove that God is not a robot. Number two, it is necessary because it breaks and kills our pride and arrogance which would have eventually become a stronghold of the devil in our lives. It breaks and kills our pride and arrogance which eventually becomes the devil's stronghold in our lives. If a believer does not learn to grieve sin quickly, immediately, you become so proud. Very soon, you even see other Christians who are trying to help you as people who are worrying you. You become so proud in yourself and nobody can help you. Not even the Holy Ghost. Number three, quickly. It is a way of proving that we fear God. Which becomes the beginning of true wisdom. It is a way of proving that we fear God. Which becomes the beginning of true wisdom. So why is it necessary that we are broken? We are, it's necessary we are broken and grief sin because it's a way of proving that we fear God. And that's true wisdom. Number four, it is a check and a meter on our spiritual journey. Or, or, or our spiritual growth journey, sorry. It is a check and a meter of our spiritual growth journey. You will determine that the man is growing through how he responds to that which dishonest or honest God. It's a sign that you are growing as a Christian. Finally, 
until a man is truly broken of, a, of sin or over a sin he is not truly sorry brokenness and grieving sin is so necessary because until a man is truly broken over a sin he is not truly sorry and therefore he will not truly repent from that sin Hallelujah. Did I just help somebody? Listen, don't confuse condemnation with godly sorrow. Condemnation is a feeling of guilt, shame, domination. That domination will come upon you. It's a feeling of guilt, shame, that domination will come upon you. That God is going to punish you in hell. That's condemnation. And the Bible says, now therefore we have no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But godly sorrow is actually a pure response of your heart towards God because you broke his heart. Are you getting this thing? Alright, so lift up your voice. In the next one minute, just talk to God. Ask Him to help you.